0: Today, uh, the third Sunday of the month of January is a day that's set aside each year as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, it's marked on this day because of the decision of the court, of the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade, which occurred on January 22nd, 1973. Um, it's a decision that paved the way for abortions to become accessible uh, and private across our country. And in, in light of that date, and in recognition of the fact that On average, we as a nation have legally murdered over one million babies every year since that day. We as a church are compelled to pause and to remember the horror and the inhumanity of what happens in clinics and hospitals around our nation and in our city every day. So as you can tell, I'm operating from the assumption uh, that the choice of whether or not to kill your baby before it is born is not one that should be protected by the government so we're not going to really discuss that I'm operating from that principle if that's something you'd like to discuss I'd be happy to do that with you but that's not our focus this morning uh, I say this usually we could we could mark many special Sundays we could bring to light many different issues as a church but um, as those who affirm the value of all life being created in the image of God this issue, the, the government-sanctioned killing of preborn babies, this is something that we need to return to, that we need to bring to our minds. It can't be something that we forget or let fade to the background. And so this is a day for us to remember those lives that have been taken, uh, to remember the reality of what is happening around us, to grieve for this evil, to pray, and even to be spurred to action. Now, each year as I begin the sermon, I try to make two things very clear. Um, these are more pastoral than anything else. The first one is this, having or encouraging or desiring or even taking part in an abortion is not an unforgivable sin. So if it's true that four of every ten unintended pregnancies end in abortion, then we must realize that there are those possibly here, but definitely in our community who have been affected very personally by this, this issue. So for you... This is not a hypothetical issue. For many of us, it may be, but it could be something that is that you or that someone that you dearly love has, has gone through. And so the point of this day is not for us to point a finger of anger or judgment for, on, towards those towards millions who have experienced the, the pain of abortion in various uh, ways. That's not the, the point. We're not trying to reopen wounds of past choices that you have made either. And so I want to begin by saying that there is forgiveness in Christ for all sins, for those that would come and repent and believe in him. If you've experienced that that forgiveness, then continue to go to the cross. And if you have not experienced the forgiveness the forgiveness that's in Christ, I encourage you to repent and believe and come to know the salvation that he gives. The second thing that I want to say is that this is not a political issue. Okay, So in speaking on this, Uh, the sanctity of human life. I mentioned a a Supreme Court case. Uh, I'm not aligning myself. I'm not aligning our church with any particular political party. That's not the point of this. This is not a political issue. Politics play a part, but this is a creation issue. This is a glory of God issue. Um, So don't let politics be the main thing that shapes how you think about abortion. Let the Bible be what shapes how you think about it. Abortion. And as Christians, this is what we always need to be doing, right? We need to always be allowing God's word to shape how we view the world. Because if we're not careful, then the, the culture at large or a cable news network or a co-worker uh, can end up having a stronger voice in our lives than the truth of God's word. And so today I want to, to talk about a subtle and, and seemingly innocuous message that seems to be pervading our, our culture and even invading our, our churches. And it's a worldview that that rejects this biblical truth that children are a blessing and replaces it with the self-centered lie that children will destroy the good life that you have. Uh, It's the thought that if you're looking for joy and satisfaction and true happiness in this life, then children should not be a part of that equation. Maybe you've heard this in different ways. It's expressed in a Paul Simon song, Father and Son, look at an old photograph together, and the father says, that was your mother, that was your father, sort of looking at this picture, before you was born, dude, when life was great. Now I can laugh at that, okay? It's okay to laugh at that to a certain extent, because as parents, we all know the experience of reminiscing to the days before children when life was a little bit easier. The song goes on, he says, you are the burden of my generation. I sure do love you. Let's get that straight. And so maybe there's some sort of We can salvage his thoughts because he says, I love you. And there's this tension for the desire between freedom and the joy of children. But from that quote, let me go to the new cultural thermometer, which is the the Internet meme. Maybe you've seen these. This one shows two adults having the time of their lives with the caption that reads, my entire goal in life is to show my friends who have kids how awesome not having kids is. That was the sentiment that was expressed to me by a guy recently when I told him I had five children. He said, I guess you don't want free time. Now, that's the, the, the thought being that free time to do what I want, when I want to do it, is a value that should limit the amount of children I have because my free time is way more important than the life of a child. Now, pause. I fully understand. I fully understand that having or not having children, that is a totally personal choice, and it's, it's a choice uh, re- regarding how many you have. And I fully accept that there are multiple, multiple reasons that people choose to not have children. A a couple that does not have children is not anti-children. Okay, Be very clear about that. There's the reality of barrenness, the risk of birth defects, the health of the potential mother, and a multitude of other factors that play into the decision whether or not to have children. So don't hear me kicking those that are already down. That's not at all what I'm trying to do. What I'm speaking against is a general attitude that sees children as a nuisance as an inconvenience, as a hindrance to my personal plans and goals and desires and wishes. They're not a cause for joy, but rather they are a cause for sorrow. They're not a gift, they're a curse. And it's an attitude that we can all subtly fall into, even as Christians. And I want to come against this way of thinking on this day, because while there is not always a direct connection between being anti-children, and therefore pro-abortion. It is true that at the heart of the vast majority of abortions is the belief that this child at this time in my life is not a blessing but is a burden, and therefore I will eliminate it. Statistics indicate that only 13% of women who have abortions list a medical reason or the fact that they were a victim of rape as a reason for having an abortion. That's only 13%. So usually it's because... The birth of the child is going to interfere with work, with school, or other responsibilities because they don't want to be a single parent or because they can't afford the child. This is why it's right to say that the debate in our country is between those who are pro-life and those who are pro-choice because they say that the choice is what takes precedence over life. I'll be the first to admit that raising children is hard. And I realize that I have not had to face a lot of the burdens that people in certain situations have to face. There's a lot of hurdles if someone is pregnant, and they have to face those. We all know that children make our lives and our homes and our churches and even our community messier in lots of different ways, right? And and there's hardly ever a convenient time to have a child. My first one came in the middle of a final exam. (laughs) But the question is, should convenience or my definition of the good life be the reason to destroy another life? Is the right to choose whether or not I want this child at this time important enough for me to murder the child in the womb? Is my right to live the life that I want greater than the child's life to live, period? Okay, so I've probably raised a lot of questions, and there's a lot of ways we could go at this point, right? So let me focus this in. This morning, I want us to renew our minds with God's truth, okay? To allow God's word to shape our worldview on a specific issue, namely the blessing of children. I want us to think about about the gift of kids into our lives, into our families, into our communities, and allow scripture to form our worldview and to help us see the evil of abortion and the motives behind it, as well as give us this, this positive way to engage with culture about why we value life with such passion. I think this applies not just to children, but to the value of life at all stages. And so we'll see that. But, but here's the big idea, okay? Every child is a good gift given by God that should be received with joy. That's what I want us to think, and I think that's what Scripture tells us. Every child is a good gift given by God that should be received with joy. And whether or not you're a parent or, or not, this is something that we can all affirm as followers of Jesus. And it's it's growing more and more into a belief that will actually shine as a light in the midst of, of darkness and in the uh, midst of a culture that is consumed with death. So as we think about this truth that every child is a good gift given by God that should be received with joy, let me be, begin by saying this, all children are purposefully created in the image of God. This is, we're thinking about the blessing and the value of children. All children are purposefully created in the image of God. We can think of value, the value of something based on the benefit that it brings us, okay? Um, I had a shovel in my shed, and I kept it there, and I used it for various purposes. It was valuable to me, and so I kept it. Then this fall, I snapped the handle off trying to get a bush out of one of our mulch beds. And so I threw the handle and I threw the shovel head away. Why? Because they were useless to me. They had no value to me anymore. So I want to start here with the fact that children are purposefully created in the image of God because it emphasizes the truth that apart from any blessing that may come into our lives through children, whether that's your immediate family or your extended family or a church family, we want to affirm that children have value in and of themselves, okay, apart from any utility that we might say they have. We'll talk this morning about the blessings that children fill our lives with, but even if you could explain all of those ways, if if you could prove that children are purely an inconvenience and a cause for pain, they are still intrinsically valuable because they are created in the image of God and filled with the breath of life. Remember 1 Timothy 4.4, everything created by God is good. Everything made by God is good and valuable. Why? Because God made it. A tree is valuable, and it's valuable in and of itself as a part of the world that God has made, even apart from the shade that it offers or the oxygen that it gives or the fruit that it might yield. It's, it's valuable. A mountain, a stream, all kinds of animals, they are, they are good, and they are worth protecting even apart from any perceived value that we as human beings might draw for them from them. And listen, how sad it is that we can get everyone in this world to agree with us on that and to go to great ends to protect the environment, but we can't get them to agree to protect the pinnacle of God's creation in human beings. When God creates Adam and Eve, Genesis 127, after a divine counsel with the Trinity, he creates them. And then in, in poetic form, he says that they were created in the image of God. They were created to reflect the beauty of and the goodness and the creativity and the character of their creator. In another view of that creative act, we see God, in fact, different from any other part of his creation, breathe into human beings the breath of life. And then he tells them to enjoy and to guard this good world that he has made. The world is marred, but every person is given the gift of life, and every person images God, shows forth his glory in his world from a fetus in the womb to a 24-week-old premature baby to an infant in its mother's arms to you and me to people pushing on into the later years of their lives. We are all created in God's image and bring Him glory. Every being is made to reflect the wonder of God and has been created by God for that purpose, on purpose. No matter who might say that being is a mistake. And their value isn't tied to their gender, it's not tied to their race, it's not tied to their mental capacity or their physical abilities. It's found in the fact that they are created in the image of God, period. Psalm 139 describes how purposeful God is in creation. and It uses poetic language to describe how intricate the forming of a human being is. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, it says this, For you, speaking to God, formed my inward parts How wonderful that science has given us a glimpse into the amazing way that human beings are formed, the way that God knits us together. We know that a baby's heart starts beating at six weeks, six weeks old. At 10 weeks old, they respond to touch and have every vital organ that they need. And at 13 weeks, they have fingerprints, a baby a premature baby at 21 weeks old. that's the youngest, and that baby survived and is living today. And we struggle to understand sometimes why God does certain things. And even when we do that, we, we, we affirm that any child born with, with mental or physical handicaps has been purposefully knit together by God and has as much value as a child without any of those difficulties. Sickness and disease are a result of the fall, yes. But a baby that is born with Down syndrome or who is blind or has a cleft palate, or has spina bifida is created in God's image and reflects his glory just as much as any other child. But not only does God purposely form our frame, but then he ordains all of our days. You see that in verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, every one of what? The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He knows the course of our lives. He says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, we're not all prophets to the nations. But this affirms the fact that God knows every child before it is formed in the womb and has plans for that child. He knits every child together in the womb, and he is grieved and angered when a child is purposefully destroyed in the womb. Just as a side note, let me say that that you and me, that we have value. Whatever circumstances, the the circumstances of your conception or your birth, whether your parents told you that you were a mistake or you never even knew your parents, whether you feel that you offer nothing to this world, if you feel ugly, if you feel worthless, if you feel like a big mistake, then know that you are created in the image of God and you were created on purpose for a purpose. You were made to worship God and to reflect God. His glory in the world. There's no greater purpose in the world than that, and that's what you were created for. And if you're in Christ, you're a child of God. You're enabled to honor Him in what you do and say. As C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. The value of all human beings is found in the fact that they are purposefully created in the image of God. From the moment of conception, a child has value and is worth protecting but not simply protected every child is a good gift from God that should be received with joy so we see that that, that's our first reason to think about why we receive children with joy is because every child is a good gift given by God and in the sense that in the sense that they are created in his image but next this is just the next big idea is that all children bring unique blessings to our lives All children bring unique blessings to our lives. In other words, there are blessings that come through children and families that that really can't come in any other way. Not just babies and little children, but teenagers bring blessings. Yes, teenagers bring blessings. And, And adult children bring blessings. And when you're in your 80s and your children are in their 60s, there are unique blessings that those children will bring to you. And some of you have been that blessing to your parents before I go through some of these, I want to say this. If you don't have children, but you are a part of God's people, know that these blessings come to you, that the children that are a part of this community are a blessing to you in unique ways. So don't think that you're missing out on these things. You're a part of the family of God, and so you receive the blessings of all the children that that you heard and saw this morning. Uh, some of these are a little bit hard to, to characterize. Some of them overlap, but... Um, I want us just to think about some of these, uh, some of the ways that we are blessed by children. So we'll kind of swim around in them, and then uh, hopefully they'll soak in a little bit. But the first is the, the, the gift of family, the gift of the blessing of, of family. Throughout Scripture, we see that the relationships that, that make up the family are held forth as, as a blessing, beginning with, with husbands and wives in marriage and then often growing into children, Psalm 127.3, which Jake read earlier, states it clearly. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Not a curse, not a burden, a reward. And Psalm 128 says that those who fear the Lord are blessed. And then he lists this picture of children gathered around a table like olive branches. And that they are a blessing. Jacob and Esau, when they reunite, Esau sees all of these people coming in front of Jacob and says, Who are all of these People and Jacob responds in Genesis thirty three, five and says, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. They are a gift. Throughout history the absence of children has not been viewed as a blessing. But women who were barren begged God for children. How strange it would be to speak of an anti child culture or of the choice of abortion to, to women like Sarah or Hannah or Rachel. Or Elizabeth, women in Scripture who longed for the blessing of children, who ached for the blessing of a family, and then knew the joy of Psalm 113.9. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Just say, may God bless you with children, if that's your desire. Whether that's through birth, or if that's not possible, then through the blessing of adoption as well. May God continue to bless our church, Family with children. They are a gift. The blessing of children extends even beyond parents, doesn't it? Psalm or Proverbs 17.6 talks about the mutual blessings that are found within the family. It says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. And all the grandparents said, Amen, right? When children come into the world, they, they, they come to parents, but they also come to aunts. And they come to uncles, to grandparents, and to cousins, to family friends, and to church families. They come to great-grandparents and sometimes even to great-great-grandparents. One of the great joys of my life has been to see my grandparents hold my children and the joy that my children can bring to my grandparents. It's the blessing of Psalm 128, 6 that's extended. May you, may you see your children's children. Yes, and may you see and know the joy of your children's children's children. Right? Family is a blessing. It it, it exists because this is the way that God blesses and gives children. And to be against children, to, to snuff them out before their light is allowed to fill this world, is to reject one of the greatest blessings that God has given us on this earth. How foolish of us. So there's the blessing of family. Another unique blessing seen in children is the opportunity to teach it may seem strange that I'm saying that's a blessing, but it is the opportunity to teach So one twenty seven verses four through five speaks of children like arrows that are sent out by mothers and fathers into the world it's the It's the picture of of a family training and teaching children and then sending them out to be a blessing. Some of you have known that the joy and the sorrow of it. Proverbs talks about the early chapters. uh, that show us the the teaching that happens between a father and and his son, the way that parents are to have skill in in training their kids. Of course, there's other realms in which teaching of children happens, but there's a uniqueness that occurs uh, when you're teaching a child, and not not simply a parent and a child, but within a family. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. You've got a unique voice in in that niece or nephew's life. Maybe you're a family friend or a Sunday school teacher, a grandparent or just a part of a church that has kids. All of these relationships are unique opportunities to speak truth into the life of a child. What a blessing. It's to to choose to not have this. If you choose to to not have a child, those who who go the route of having abortion, they don't just deprive themselves of that blessing, but they, they deprive so many others the opportunity to learn and to grow as they would teach a child. Not that we have it all figured out, right? I mean, I'm learning as I go in this parenting thing. But we've all been given wisdom in different ways, every one of us. So just let me say that, you've, all of you, no matter how much you don't think, you have wisdom and you have experience and you have knowledge that God has given you, whether through things that you have read or experiences that you have had. And you are able to teach others, and there is a joy when we when we are able to teach children and to see them walk in ways that honor God. Of course, children teach us as well, don't they? There's another joy, the opportunity to learn. Not just the opportunity to teach, but the opportunity to learn. We learn much from our children. Children teach us in a way that no one else can, right? We learn about the walk of faith from them. We learn about the walk of faith. Jesus points to children as some of the best teachers of we who are old and tired and have lost the wonders of the world that God has made and the salvation that he offers. In Matthew 18, 1 through 3, we learn that if we don't humble ourselves like little children, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he tells us in Matthew 19 that it says, don't don't hinder the little children, don't keep them from coming, because that's, it's people that who are like children that make up the kingdom of God. The faith of children teaches us, it teaches us how to trust God the way that we're supposed to. So we learn about the walk of faith. We also learn about our hearts and how we need to grow in Christ likeness. I never thought that I struggled with anger until I had children. Not that my children make me angry, but rather I'm placed in situations where God has allowed me to see the wickedness of my heart and how quickly I fail if I don't trust him. I just hadn't been pushed hard enough in the rest of my life. But my children expose my sin in so many different ways. And sometimes even as I seek to discipline them, I can hear God saying to me, what you see in them is what's in you. What you're telling them to do is what I'm telling you to do. And they teach us. Maybe that's why I get so frustrated with them. Because what I see in them is what I see in my own heart. Children teach us. We learn about our hearts and our need to grow in Christlikeness. We learn about pain and suffering and how it makes us more like Christ. That's another great lesson that children teach us. From the very beginning, children bring pain. Ask anyone who has had one. I don't know that pain personally, but I have seen it. And then it continues, doesn't it, into sleepless nights and dirty diapers and the ultimate trial of parenting, potty training, but that's all nothing compared to raising a child, is it? To disciplining a child and teaching them and watching them make mistakes and then face the consequences for their mistakes and then sending them out. Those are those who have even faced the death of a child. That's a pain I, I can only imagine that-, that it's like unlike any other suffering in this world. To have children is to invite pain into our lives. But that's any relationship. But there's something about... that, That deep bond that you invest your life completely in this child. And there's deep pain that is potential there. There's great joys, but also deep sorrow that can come. But we believe that the blessings will always outweigh the pain. And that even the pain teaches us who God is. That that is a blessing from God. We don't reject it because of that. I always say, I don't have pets. Because I feel like I'm just inviting pain into my life with that. Because they will die before I do, probably. But I have children, and I know that there's a blessing even in the pain that comes. Even as we walk through these things, though, we are, we are driven to God in Christ. In the suffering, the, the suffering that we face, it drives us to the Father. And God is a Father. And think about this. He's a Father who's faced all of these things. He's faced the difficulty of disciplining children. He's faced the pain of seeing his children wander away. He's even faced the pain of the death of a child. And of all of these things, he knows how to comfort us and conform us to his image. But we could say more about the blessing of children. There's a lot. But as we think about the blessing and, and the perspective of Scripture, I think the greatest blessing that they offer is that they represent the potential of being worshipers of our God. They represent the potential of being worshipers of our our Father. When God creates Adam and Eve, what does he tell them to do? What's the first command? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Why? Because he wants them to fill the earth with worshipers of him, of the one true living God. That is their, their task. And after the fall, God sets in motion his great rescue plan, his mission for redeeming for himself a people. And so in a real sense, having children is a part of accomplishing God's Great purpose for the world, the the spread of his glory and the gathering of worshipers. Now, not every child that is born is going to bow their knee in this life. But we're called to train, to teach, and to raise them with the hope, trusting in God's power and plan that they possibly will bow their knee to Christ. And if we are Christians, then our great desire, our our great passion is the same as God's. We long for more and more worshipers to our God. And so we welcome children with joy, believing that they represent this potential to be worshipers of God and that all can be redeemed. How amazing is this? How are we redeemed? Because God sent a baby. (laughs) That's how salvation came in the first place, was that he incarnated himself not just as a 30-year-old man, but he came as a child. If you don't think children are a blessing, just think about baby Jesus the greatest blessing that has ever come into the world. We could say more. um, But my hope, again, is that that Scripture shapes our worldview and that we would affirm this truth. Every child is a good gift given by God that should be received with joy. Every child. So let me give you four applications as we think about this. Just real quick at the end here. Number one, reject the anti-child culture as a lie. Reject the anti-child culture as a lie. Let's be careful about how we speak about children, okay? I, I fall in this trap too. How we respond to children in public places when the child is is screaming in, in the restaurant or on the plane. How we view large families. Maybe that's just self-serving for me to say that. <laughs> But even how we think about our own children, we can begin to allow the world to shape our thinking to the point that we join them in this strange distaste and annoyance with kids. Can't we? That can happen to us. And so root out those thoughts in your mind and in your heart and renew them with the truth of of God's word that every child is a good gift given by God that should be received with joy. So reject the anti-child culture as a lie. Second, rejoice in children and families. Rejoice. Positively, rejoice in children and families. Parents, I say this to myself, rejoice in your children. It's hard at times. I pray that we would remember what a blessing children are, one of God's greatest blessings, and that we would see the privilege and joy that it is to have them in our lives every day. Not just parents, but church. Let's rejoice in our children. I say that purposely. Our children, when you work in the nursery or when they spill their drink at potluck or when they make things harder in Sunday morning and Sunday evening or during small group. Yeah, it's more difficult. It is messier, but they are a blessing. And let's rejoice. Yes, we need to train them. But let's not see them as a nuisance or as an inconvenience. And let's rejoice in all children. As often as we can, let's affirm to others, strangers and friends and like, that their children are a blessing. Now, some of you are going to be way better at this than I am, that you're able to go to a stranger and to say, what a blessing that child is. I feel like sometimes for me to do it, it would seem strange. I don't know. But some of you have the personality to do that. And and especially those that maybe have special needs or physical handicaps to affirm to that parent, this child is a blessing. They are from God. They are a gift. Let's rejoice in children. Now, we need to guard against making children the center of everything, right? Okay, of worshiping them. That's another sermon for another time. <laughs> But it's never wrong to rejoice in the gift of children. Reject the anti-child culture as a lie. Rejoice in children and families. Third, receive the blessing of children. Again, I recognize that God may not give every couple children, that there is a, a God, there are God-honoring honoring reasons for not having children. And I believe that God has created us and blessed us, though, with marriage so that we might know the blessing of children. They are a gift. They are a blessing. It creates... Work and struggle and pain, but it brings joy and draws us to Christ as well. So may God bless the families of our church and our church family with with children. And third, raise your voice for the unborn. Raise your voice for the unborn. If we if we believe this, then we should raise our voice for those children that are not seen as a blessing. Raise your voice in prayer. Let's not neglect to pray for, to, to intercede for the helpless, for the voiceless infant, asking that God would preserve his or her life. And not just that, that voiceless child, but also let's pray for the fearful mother. Let's pray for the, the father that doesn't know what to do, for the, the pro-choice advocate, for abortion doctors. Let's not bomb places. Let's pray for these men and women. Let's pray for our pregnancy support centers that they would have wisdom. Let's pray for friends and family that, that are placed in a situation where they have to offer advice. Let's pray that our society would be filled with people who say children are a blessing, not a curse. Let's pray for, for people to adopt children within our own community and even outside. Raise your voice in prayer and raise your voice in society. Wherever your sphere of influence is, speak for the helpless. I don't know what this will <laughs> look like to you. It could look like many different opportunities that you might have to raise your your voice for the unborn, but I pray that we would have boldness to do it, that we would do it with our vote, that we would do it with our money, and that we would do it at times with our voice, whether written or spoken. So just in closing, very simply, Grace Fellowship Church, In in a culture of death (laughs) that has turned the blessing of children into a curse, let's stand as those who boldly and happily proclaim that every child is a good gift that is given by God and should be received with joy.